Matthew 21. Isn't it neat when you go to a birthday party and you are focused on one person to celebrate that one person? You gather in a place and, and all of your attention and all of your focus is on that one person. And that one person either really, really likes it or really, really hates it. Like it's usually one or the other. There's very little middle ground. And most of us say we hate it and really mean it, but a lot of us say we hate it, but we really like it, right? Or we go to a a retirement party and all the attention is on the the retiree or any kind of celebration or or even when you go to a movie, like when you go to a movie, you want to focus all your attention on the movie. You don't want to be distracted by the person with the crinkling paper trying to get into their candy or the person spoiling everything because they've already seen it. Like you want to focus on the one thing and a lot of times when we come to church, that's what we want. We want to focus on Christ. And many times, churches, and we can be guilty of it too sometimes, is we get focused on, well, how's our visitor program? How's our giving? How's our music? How's the carpet color? How are the chandeliers? How are all these other things that mean nothing? Without the focus on Christ, all of that other stuff is just superfluous. It's just meaningless. When we come to church, when we gather in this sanctuary that we call church, we want to focus on Christ. And yet that is a struggle for us, is it not? Because many of you have jobs that you hate, bosses that get under your skin, co-workers that you would just rather let them go. I had to filter that a little bit. Right? We, kids getting ready to go back to school, that's what they're thinking about, or sports. I remember when I was growing up, on a Sunday evening, I don't remember anything my pastor taught because I was thinking about Monday night soccer game. And we get distracted and we get off target of what we are to focus on. And Jesus in this passage, I believe, brings back the focus that we need to have. And this passage actually hit me a little bit different than what we studied on Monday. It was very powerful to me to see the refocusing of what was going on and what Jesus was really saying and how he applied it to the temple, but we're going to take it really into each of our lives. So here's the main thought that I have for you today, and I hope that you will pay attention with everything that you got. A place for all to be focused on one. Now that seems a little weird sounding, but I want you to think about it. Again, when we go back to the birthday parties, it's a place for us to be focused on one person. When we go to the movies, it's a place for all of us to be to focused on the movie. When you go to a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, it's a place for all to be to focus on the one thing. And when you come to church on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or any other time that you're here, it is the place for all to be to focus on one. And that one is not me. It is a place for all to be. Doesn't matter what color you are, what culture you come from, how much money you have, or what car you drive. This place is for all to be, but it is singularly focused. It is all to be on Him. Now, we understand that. 
That makes sense to us. It, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know that that is exactly what that means. Well, let's see what Jesus does as he has entered into Jerusalem. Remember, he made the triumphal entry. And now we're going to see in Matthew 21 what he does about this. Now, if we were to read uh, in Mark or in Luke, they may say that um, <coughs> he is staying in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and he travels in and goes back to where he's staying, which is normal. And so this probably did not happen the same day that he rode in in the triumphal entry. He probably scoped some things out because it most likely would have been late. He probably went back to the place in Bethany that he's staying. And now, most likely, this is the next day. Okay? In Matthew 21 and in verse 12, it says this. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. I think that's interesting that he just didn't say the temple. He is clarifying who the temple is for. This church is not for you. This sanctuary is not for me. It is for God. And he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, in Mark and in Luke, it goes into a little bit bigger explanation because it wasn't just doves that they were selling. They were selling wares like cups and, and pottery and things like that. They were selling other animals besides doves. And this is one of the inner courts of the temple. Now, this temple is the second temple. The first one was destroyed, the second one was rebuilt, and then modified even more by uh, one of the rulers of the land at that time. And so this place is massive. They believe it's like a, a half mile to walk all the way around it. It's huge. Lots of little uh, hallways and, and places to meet. But this is happening in one of the inner courts that the Gentiles were at least allowed to enter. They were not allowed to enter another inner court, which was strictly for the Jews. But in this outer court, which is an inner court, for the Gentiles, this selling was going on. All of this extra stuff. And Jesus comes in and he's like, what are we doing? Now, we would like to think that he was furious, and maybe he was some would say he probably wasn't that upset, but he was just kind of overturning things. He wasn't making a big scene. I like to think of him as he wasn't happy at all. And when it says he overturns, I don't think he just went over and went, mm. that's skill right there, buddy. <laughs> Practice that all week. Just kidding. I think he overturned them. He was not happy. He was not okay with what they were doing, and he drove them out. He didn't ask politely, he drove them out. Now some, uh, it's either Mark or Luke, one of them, say that he actually made like a, a whip, and he drove them out. Now maybe that was for the animals that was there, maybe that was for the people that were there, maybe it's for both. doesn't matter. Jesus was not happy with what was going on in that court of the Gentiles inside the temple. And he says to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of things, of thieves. Two different passages that Jesus quotes. He reminds them of what this place is really about. It's a house of prayer. It's a house to focus on the one. But you have turned it into a den of thieves, which allows us to think that the way that they were selling these things was to make a little extra cash. 
They turned it into something that it should not be about. After he does that, the blind and the lame in verse 14 came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw, look at the words that are next, the wonderful things that he did. Are you kidding me? These scribes and Pharisees are already upset because he's kind of cut off their money-making opportunity and that he's destroying this temple inside for the Gentiles. He's made a mess, but now he's healing people and they get upset because of the wonderful things that he's done. Talk about having it backwards. This man that they want to call him, this prophet from Nazareth, which he really is the Messiah, he is healing people in his father's area. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing, and they're upset. He is allowing them to experience the grace of God where they're supposed to experience it, and these religious leaders that think they know best are bothered by it. Seems a little backwards, doesn't it? And then the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. So Jesus is healing people, people that need healing that they cannot heal. The Pharisees and the priests, they can't do it. But these people are being healed. And the kids that are there are just loudly proclaiming, Hosanna, son of David. Now, you know how kids are. Kids aren't quiet. They're not meant to be quiet. They're kids. And they are in the temple, excited, because they are seeing some things that nobody else can do. Could you imagine seeing a person come in on a stretcher or in a bed as a kid and then watch him knowing that you know that this man has never been able to walk and then watch him get up and walk? Or to watch a hand that may be backwards and withered and as a kid watch Jesus touch it and it come back to whole? Are you kidding me? These kids are beside themselves and they are exclaiming that this is the man. Save us. And the priests and the Pharisees were indignant. They weren't just mad. Matthew specifically uses the word indignant. It's beyond mad. They were beside themselves. They were furious. I don't understand that. I can't figure out how people can get mad as God is moving in other people's lives because maybe he's not doing it how they want him to do it. Help me out with that. Yeah, he may not move that way in me, but if he's moving in you that way, praise God. (sighs) And they say to Jesus in verse 16, do you hear what these are saying? (laughs) No, I can't hear a thing, sorry. What what are they saying? Jesus is so much better than I am, because man. And Jesus says to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? 
Now, that's an interesting statement because if you go back into um, Psalms, it's a little worded a little bit differently. But it's insinuating that out of the mouth of babes, the way that we praise him brings strength to our lives. You know that. When you find a song, whether it's a hymn or a praise song or an oldie-goldie, whatever you want to call it, it moves you. Right? And it produces strength within you because it reminds you of what God has done. And Jesus said, out of the mouth of these children, this excitement, this this loudness, this uncontrollable urge just to, to shout out, Hosanna! That's what gives us strength. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Almost like a little bit of a mic drop. He says, out of the mouth of babes, that's where the strength comes. I'm out. Chew on that for a little while. There's so much in this passage. So I'm going to try to do my best to keep us going at a nice little speed here. But I want to start here. Because this one just boggles my brain. That the leaders, the religious leaders, the ones who knew better. They were indignant. Indignant. Couldn't control their anger and just beside themselves of furious. Why? Well, part of the reason is it took attention away from them. They're up there teaching and teaching and Jesus is over there doing his thing healing. And where are you going to go? Are you going to go to some teaching or are you going to watch the dude heal some people? Well, I'm going to go watch the dude heal some people. Whether it's physical or spiritual, I don't care. I want to see God move. Why do you think you come to church? Oh, I I really like the music. Okay, why? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you like the music? I bet it's because it speaks to you and moves you. Well, I, I, I don't really care about the music. I really like the preaching. Why? you got to look at my ugly face. Like, come on. No, 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 it's not you, Alan. It's the words. It's God's word that moves me. It teaches me and, and infuses strength within me. Well, I, I like all of that, but I, I like meeting like-minded believers. That's why I like going to church. I, I like all of those things. And, and all of those things are good. But sometimes we get miffed when the attention travels from what we think it should be on and travels to something that it really should be on. And that's what's happening here. They have always had the attention on themselves. And now when Jesus is there doing something, when God in the flesh is moving in people's lives, they get mad. Does that make sense? So please tell me how a church our size, when God is moving, we get mad because it's not how it's always been done or it's not the way we want it. Crickets on that one. I got you. I'll amen it for you. Listen, I get it. I understand. I grew up in a church that they didn't like to change. And you know what they're doing right now? They're dying. And I'm not interested in being a part of that. And neither was Jesus. Jesus wanted to change lives. He wanted to 
honor his father. He wanted to refocus all of those people that have been focused on the wrong things back to the right thing. Took attention away from them. That's why they were mad. Oh, I'm going to chuck this in today. He was changing their customs and their comforts. Now, I know y'all are probably thinking, oh, man, that means he's going to, Pastor Allen's going to start changing everything. No, I'm not. Stop worrying about that. What if we worried about how can we connect with people more? What if we worried about, what about those people that won't come here, but maybe we can do something that will attract them here to light them up with the gospel? But Alan, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done church, and churches work that way for years. Yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But when things stay the same way all the time, they get old. And without change, a little bit of change, you can't adapt and keep going. Jesus paid attention to those less fortunate, the wonderful things. Now, sometimes churches get kind of um, labeled as a, more of a country club, that it's really just about the church people and not about people outside of here. I'm not really interested in that. I love you, and I'm here to serve you. I am here to, to do all that I can to encourage your growth and to push you, but I am not here just for you. My calling is to lead people. That includes you and those out there to him. That's the wonderful things for me. And not just for me, but for you too. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Don't just rely on me to lead your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers to Christ. He's already doing the work in you. You should be pointing them to him. I can't for the life of me understand why they were indignant, except for the fact that they weren't getting what they wanted to get. Eli, this thing is really messing with me today. If you could help me out. Thank you. You know what's so good about this is Jesus refocused the sight line of the temple. He refocused the sight line of the temple. The temple had become this place where they were making money, they were selling stuff, they were making it easy for the followers. The, the money changers were there, and it was needed because the Romans had their own money. That was the common currency. But when you came to the temple, you needed a Jewish shekel. Well, those don't match. And so they thought, you know what, we'll make it convenient. We'll be here, and we'll make it convenient for the people. We'll make it easy for them. But what they were doing is not only making it easy for them, but they were taking a little bit too. And as they're selling the animals, they were making it easy because people got to travel a long way. And so let's just make it super convenient and super easy for them. Let's just sell it right here that way. As soon as they get here, they don't have to worry about anything else. They don't have to make any arrangements. They don't have to make any sacrifices. They just know when they get here, we'll just make it easy for them. And Jesus said, no, sacrifice is important. Commitment to the cause is important. A little sweat equity in, in doing this is important. So let's refocus. Let's not do this here. 
Let's not make it so easy for the people. Let's not make it easy believism for them. Let's make them understand that there is a requirement of sacrifice in this and a commitment to the cause. Jesus even said, he said in Isaiah 56, 7, this is the first one that he quoted. He said, even then I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. Including the Gentiles. Don't say that. That means sinners and people who don't live the way we live and people who don't think the way we think and people who don't dress the way we dress or listen to the music that we listen or believe the way that we believe. They are allowed to be in this place. And it's going to be uncomfortable and it might get a little gross. But let me ask you a question. What's more gross Shunning them to hell or taking on a little stink so that they might experience the grace of God? I don't like stink. I don't even like my own stink. But I am thankful that there's a God above that can deal and work with my stink. So why should I hold that to myself and not include anybody that's willing to hear it? But he goes on to say, maybe sometime today, thank you, has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. He's like, I've seen what you've done. I know what you've done. You've changed it. You took this wonderful temple that was focused on me, this wonderful opportunity to reconnect with me, and you've changed it to be more about you. You've made it too easy for folks you've made it too comfortable for folks you've made this wonderful sanctuary to be something that is lost it's mystique and yeah we are guilty of that sometimes man when I was growing up you didn't dare run in the sanctuary even when nobody was there When I was growing up, you didn't dare bring snacks and drinks in, much less even a bottle of water. It was unheard of. Now, I'm not here this morning saying, oh, stop doing all that. We're taking our coffee out, no more snacks, no more coffee, no more bottles of water, because I would thirst to death, and then you wouldn't hear me preach. That was supposed to be funny. Not talking about that. But maybe, just maybe, we could reinstitute a little bit the sanctity of this place. That we realize how special this place is. Now, I know it's a multi-used room. I get that. But this place is special, man. It's not where God lives. But it is where he visits when we are here. And this place, we need to protect it. We don't want it to be a den of thieves. We don't want to get the focus off of what it really should be about. It should never be about the music. It should never be about the preacher. It should never be about the chairs or the color of the carpet or the color of the walls or even the chandeliers, Alan. I heard that, Jim. It should 
always be, always, always be about him. Always. And we are responsible in maintaining that. Next, please. But what we don't understand is they needed to exchange the money. They needed to. They had to do it. Where else are they going to do it? They didn't have ATMs back then. And it did make it convenient. Next. They, they extended it, though, and they took that slippery slope, like we like to call it, and they went just a little bit further. Because we know when we give a person an inch, they're going to take a mile. And we must be careful of that and guard that in this place. But it does not mean we don't take an inch when we need to. That's important, folks. But you do it cautiously and wisely and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And you do what is necessary to continue to focus not just you, but those that are coming from out there on Him. Next. Listen, they got to where items were being carried around. They were carrying their coffee mugs and their bottles of water and their, their wine containers and their seed, whatever they were carrying. But it got to where it was just a farce. It was just another court in the temple. It was more like their foyer. No big deal. This is where the Gentiles go. We will never do that where the Jews are at. But where the Gentiles are at, no big deal. It wasn't the Holy of Holies anyway, right? That's where God is at. We only go in there once. That's where the priest goes. So as long as we're not doing it there, we're okay. This is where the Gentiles are. Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? Next, please. It wasn't the inner court for the Jews. We, we know the Holy Holies is off limits. We at least know that where the Jews get to, that's off limits. We won't go there. Next. It was just the outer court of the Gentiles. It was just the outer court. It's where, these are sinners anyway. They don't, they're kind of aftermarket thoughts. We don't really have to worry about them. So we'll do our dirty work, the things that we feel comfortable in doing, because as long as I go into my court and into the temple, clean and fresh and not doing those things out there that all the other Gentiles do, then I'm good. Putting it together yet? Let me help you. Next one. This is not the temple, but it is our sanctuary. This is not the temple, but it is our sanctuary where we have the opportunity to refocus. Agreed? It is our opportunity to, to solely focus on the one who has given us strength and encouragement and salvation. We are here because we want to focus on him. And this place is special. It is special. Because we're, we are gathered in His name to glorify Him. He visits with us. You feel that. You know that. But let me remind you that this is not the only sanctuary or temple that exists. Next slide, please. We're the temple. I'm the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body, your body, 
That's specific. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. As much as we love this place and we would never let anybody come in here and dishonor it, help me understand how we as believers allow ourselves to dishonor the very spirit and temple that we carry. Help me understand that. That is just like us going into the Gentile court and selling and doing whatever we want. But as long as we come to church clean, we're good. I'm getting ready to. That irritates me. When we've got people who talk about, yeah, my, my, I saw somebody doing so-and-so, and they were with another person, and that other person said, well, I know that person goes to church, and if they're doing it with me, what's the big deal? Don't let that be named among you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and your decisions reflect Him. You do not get the opportunity to separate and say, well, I'm in the Gentile court. I'll do what I want to do. But as long as I'm in the Jewish court or in the presence of God, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. You are always in the presence of God. And it is time that we as believers of God begin living that way and stop making dumb choices. Who did the Spirit come from? What does it say? Who you have from God and you are what? Not your own. You're not your own. You don't get to do what you want to do anymore. Now I know for some of us that's really hard because we don't like authority. We like to do what we want to do and we don't want to be told what we can't do. Well, then you signed up for the wrong life. This life is about recognizing that no longer it is about me. It is all about him. For you were bought at a price. Do you know? Do you remember? Have you conceptualized what that price was? It was not a dollar amount. It was not a land amount. It was a life. God in the flesh who willingly sacrificed his own blood to wash away our sins. That is who purchased your life back. And when you accept him as your Lord and Savior and you uh, uh, offer up your surrendered life to him, now he imbibes within you and you don't get to live how you want to live anymore. That is what Jesus was talking about with these people coming into the Gentile court and leveraging all that they knew to be able to do what they wanted to do, but as long as it wasn't in the other courts, we're good. In other words, stop living your own sinful life that you haven't let go of yet and then come to church and acting like it's all okay. Please. Because you don't know who's seeing you and who's being affected by knowing that you're a member of Townsend Church or that you go to Townsend Church or that you're a volunteer at Townsend Church or you're a teacher at Townsend Church and yet you live like however you want outside of there. It sends a mixed message and it will send people straight to hell. And I'm not cool with that and neither should you be. It says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, I can't go to certain restaurants 
and glorify God in my body because my mind won't let me. I can't drink certain things because my body will not glorify God when those things are in me. I can't do certain activities because my mind and my body will not glorify the spirit that lives within me. Why? Because I'm the temple of God. I would never allow certain things in this place. Why? Because it's our sanctuary. So please, if we all agree with that, stop doing that with the temple that you're carrying around. Next slide, please. Shoo. Therefore, based on all that exciting stuff, if we are the temple, which do we all agree, based on scripture, that we are all the temple of God for those who believe Christ is their savior. Agreed? So if we believe that, then we must accept, without any reservation, without any argument, that we should represent him faithfully everywhere. Try to argue that with me. Because you can't. You can't. Next, please, Eli. James 3.10, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. It's one of my favorite passages when James is talking about the tongue. And he says there's no way that a wonderful spring of water can bring out bad water and good water at the same time. With that same thought, there's no way that you can praise God in here and then walk out of here and curse other people in him. That is a double life. And it is a life that is not representative of the spirit that supposedly lives in them. Just so we're clear, I am on your side. I love you. I'm excited to serve. I'm excited to preach. But this hits me as much as it's hitting you. But here's my fear. And I'm almost, almost done. Here's my fear. We're going to sit here and we're going to amen this. And we're going to say, man, that's a good point. Yeah, I probably should work on that. And we're going to walk right out of here and not do a daggone thing about it. This sermon for me today hits all of us. This altar, not trying to guilt you, not trying to make it happen, but this altar should be full today. All of us have things that we need to be refocusing on. Next slide, Eli, please. <clears throat> Love this passage. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Paul is begging them by the mercies of God that you, what, present your body's a living sacrifice. We know that verse, we read that verse, we quote that verse, but do you know what that really means? That means as I'm living out every day, every moment of my life, I am making sacrifices for God, sacrificing the things that my flesh want to do, say, and think. And I'm sacrificing those. I am laying them at the altar of God and crucifying them on the cross. Why? Because it is, I want to be holy and acceptable unto him. And I love how Paul tags this on at the end. At your reasonable service. It's reasonable. <laughs> Some of y'all are thinking, man, that's not reasonable. That's a lot to ask. No, it's reasonable. Because Christ gave all for you. 
and it is reasonable for you to give up your drinking. Even just the sips on the side. Why do you need that? Oh, and I need to take off the edge. Really? I could probably show you lots of scriptures in here that could take off the edge better than that drink can. Well, I just got to smoke a pot. Every, a pot. Ha! Smoke some pot every now and again or shoot up a little bit or just watch a little porn or have that conversation that's not my spouse. Or maybe I just want to go do something that nobody else knows about. So if you can convince me that that's reasonable service to Christ our King, that that is holy and acceptable in his sight, I will hallelujah and amen you. But you can't and you know it. Therefore, you are willingly going and doing what you know you should not do. James says it best. To him to knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is what? Sin. Folks, we got a lot of work ahead of us. I told y'all I was going to light you up this morning. None of us can really escape this one today. Me included. But this verse isn't over. It goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world. Stop doing what they're doing. You don't have to do that. Paul says don't do it. Don't be conformed. Don't be like them. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change your focus. Refocus on who the one should be focused on. That you may prove Prove what? That is what, what that is. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? To do what is right, love being kind, and walk humbly with him. That's our reasonable service. Next slide, buddy. Two things, real quick. Number one, we should focus on what God is doing, not what we are losing. Those that were changing money those that were selling things, the priests and the, the Pharisees that were upset about all that, they were upset that they were losing something. And they failed to see what God was doing. May that not be said of Townsend Church. May that not be said. Listen, God does lots of things in my life that I don't like. Yes, your pastor said that. God directs me in ways and changes things in me and challenges me in ways that I'm not comfortable with and I don't like. But if I refuse that, I am more miserable than if I go through and follow him. So I choose to be miserable as I follow him to experience the joy of the Lord on the other side. And I am willing with open arms to say, I don't like it, I'm not comfortable with it, but God, if you are moving, I'm in. And I'm not going to be upset with the things that I may lose in the process. Because if God is moving and God is working, and there's no way that you can say in this place that he is not moving and working. And he is. Secondly. When I sat down to put the sermon together, um, Friday night, I really thought I was going to go in a totally different sermon. I literally sat down and scrapped everything that we had from Monday and started going in a different way. But I, I couldn't get it to flow out. And as I sat on it and thought through it some more on Saturday, and I sat back down and I was putting it together, he actually brought both of them together. Because that's what he does. 
Because for me, we need to be careful to live Christ out everywhere, not just in this place. Not just in the Jewish temple, but also on the Gentile side as well. You can't come here and only live out Christ and raise your hands and pay your tithe and praise God and amen me. And then walk out of here and treat your neighbor like dirt. That's not okay. Or your coworker, or to work half-heartedly. Like, there are so many implications to this, it's not even funny. We are to be a believer of Christ, a follower of Him, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives within us, therefore, wherever we go, we should live Christ out loud every time. Not just here. I love it here, but this is the place where we can let some guard down. We can actually be real. Let the scars show a little bit. Out there, we can promote what Christ is doing in our lives all the time. But if we continue in the ways of our old life and trying to marry those two things, Christ and the old ways, it will not work. And it will distract those that see it. Eli? A place for all to be focused on one. You know, when I wrote that, I really thought about our sanctuary. This is the place for all to be focused on one, but I also want to go one step further. Your life is the place where people should see that you are focused on one. Your life as the temple of God, as the Holy Spirit abiding in you, may be the only temple that people will ever see. The only Christ example that people will see. And you don't know when that's going to be. Therefore, we are called to live him out everywhere at all times. Not just when it's convenient or when we just want to take a break. It's always and forever. Here are a couple of questions for you. Number one. I'm going to ask you again. Have you fully surrendered? Maybe that's part of the hang up. When we hear this sermon and these things and God's bringing these things to the forefront, maybe we are having a hard time living this type of scenario for all of our life areas because we haven't fully surrendered. Maybe today can be your day. Second question is this. Where's your focus? The focus of the Pharisees and the priests were on themselves and what they were getting or not getting. The focus on those that were exchanging money and selling things were just to make a couple of bucks and make it easy for everybody else. But Jesus said, no, 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 I want to focus on the right thing. I want to focus on God. I want the praise of the children to be loud and excited because of what I'm doing. I want people to know. I want people to hear the streets. Let them sing. And then lastly, this one to me is the bigger question. This one for me is where it hits home. Am I living him out everywhere I go? When I go eat, when I go get gas, when I come to work, when I go out with my family, when I sit on my deck, when I'm laying in my bed, when I'm in my shower, wherever I go, he's always with me. And am I living him out everywhere? I really pray that you guys will consider this sermon. I pray that you'll go back and listen to it again. Let God continue to work on your heart and bring to mind those areas that we are not really surrendering all to him. Or maybe we're trying to live like the Gentiles and serve in the Jewish courts. 
May God show you mercy and grace as he reveals those things that will be very tough for you to see and hear. And may you have the courage to say yes to him. As always, the altars will be open when the praise team begins to sing. Let me pray for you.